A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Carl Zimmer as part of our four-year anniversary celebration. The story was recorded in May 2014 at Littlefield in Brooklyn. So, for me and my friends who were growing up in the 1970s, there were two words that would make our hearts leap. Monster Week. You see, because our local channel, a TV channel, every now and then would set aside a week where every afternoon we could come home from grade school and there would be a Japanese monster movie on. And this was heaven. We'd watch Godzilla, but you know, you have to go past Godzilla to fill up five days of afternoon movies. And one monster would be more ridiculous than the next, you know, so there would be giant moths that shot lightning bolts out of their wings. Uh, But for me, my favorite monster, uh, in my opinion, the most ridiculous monster was Gamera. I don't know how many of you remember Gamera. Gamera was a monster turtle. I don't know the mental process that happens that leads you to think, I'm going to make a movie about a monster turtle. Maybe there was a lot of drinking in the scriptwriter's room, but in any case, they decided, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it right, and they did. So step one to monsterize a turtle is you make it big, like 100 feet long. But that's not enough, because you just end up with a 100-foot-long box turtle that should be on a 500-foot-long log, and it sits there for the whole movie. That's not good enough. So what they did is they made Gamera terrifying, okay? They changed its body. So, for example, its head was kind of the, the shape of a tank, and it had this huge brow ridge and these giant eyes. It had two tusks sticking out from its lower jaw that looked perfect for spearing fighter jets. Its shell was not the cute little dome of a box turtle. It was low and broad and jagged-edged like a shield that a warrior would use. This was a scary turtle. But that wasn't enough because there's that little teeny tiny problem of turtle locomotion. How many of you have had a nightmare that you've woken up from in the sweats because you were being chased by a turtle? (laughs) I don't see any hands. So they gave Gamera some options. So Gamera didn't just walk around on four legs. Gamera could stand up, which was great for the guy inside the latex suit. (laughs) It's also very good for knocking down skyscrapers. Um, But there was more. Uh, Gamera could fly. And they didn't just give Gamera wings. That would be the easy way out. So what happened with Gamera was that Gamera would, like all good turtles, would retract its legs and its head into its shell. 
But then, out of those recesses, there were, I don't know what, rocket engines? Something. There was fire coming out of those holes. <laughs> and Gamer would start to rise and spin. And then he'd fly off like a, like a reptile frisbee. <laughs> this was perfect. And Gamera was now ready for its movie debut. Now, Gamera the movie follows the classic Japanese monster narrative arc. Gamera is mining its own business in the ice at the North Pole until somebody, oops, sets off a nuclear explosion, which makes Gamera very angry. Gamera comes out of the ice. Gamera decides, I'm going to just wreak my vengeance on Japan because, well, it's Japan, and Japan is always the victim of monsters. So it heads straight for Japan, and it is just knocking down building after building. And the Japanese army, they're just trying to do their best. They're doing, throwing everything at Canada, and nothing works. They have flamethrowers. They shoot flamethrowers at Gamera. Gamera drinks up the flames, <laughs> like drinking a milkshake. Gamera is that cool. But finally, the Japanese army realizes this is our solution. They lure Gamera with fire into a spaceship which they just happen to be building for reasons that no one can figure out who's watching the movie, but it just happens to be the perfect size for a gigantic monster turtle. Close the doors, boom, off to Mars, and scene. So I have to say that watching Gamera and all the other movies in Monster Week, they did serious brain damage to me. And so not just because I can recite to you all the minutiae of Gamera now, four decades later, uh, it actually affected the way I work. Because I became a writer, and I wrote a lot about animals. And I actually kind of treated all the animals like they were the stars of Monster Week. Because honestly, like animals are just weird. And I could imagine a lot of the animals I wrote about as having their own show. I, I have this image of Charles Darwin as a Japanese monster movie screenwriter. And he's had a little too much sherry to drink. And he stumbles into the, uh, the writer's room and he says, gentlemen, I, I've got it. Our next movie, it's a monster called Whale. Okay? So we start with something like a deer. We shave it. We cut off its legs. Are you with me? We wrap it in fat, we stretch it out to 100 feet long, we put its nose on top of its head, and then, this is the best part, we throw it in the water. <laughs> this is what I had to deal with in reality. Uh, and so I wrote about animals, and I spent uh, the first 10 years or so uh, writing about animals uh, living here in New York. And that meant I had to travel, because New York is not what we call zoologically rich, um, I think the most exotic thing I ever saw on the streets of New York was maybe an albino squirrel. But in any case, um, I moved out of New York with my wife Grace uh, to a town about 100 miles east of here called Guilford. And that's where we started raising our kids, two girls, Charlotte and Veronica. And they started to crawl, and they started to walk, they started to run, they started to fall. And that's when I discovered I was one of those paranoid parents who thinks that, uh, that he can basically save his kids from all injury and harm. You've seen them. They're the ones who very kind of casually trying to tr set themselves in between their child and like the nearest boulder. That was me. 
my wife started calling me Safety Carl when I suggested that we encase our fireplace hearth in foam. Uh, but at least Safety Carl didn't have to worry about his children wandering off into the woods and meeting some horrible harm with a rattlesnake or something because we, when we moved to Guilford, we moved to the center of the town. You know, you'd walk out of your house and you'd be on the sidewalk and you'd look out and you'd see the lights of the Walmart parking lot. This was not the wilderness. This was what we call civilization. But then I started to meet some of the residents of Guilford, like coyotes just wandering through in the middle of the night and skunks, and weird predators like fisher cats, and glossy ibises. I'd see a star-nosed mole. I don't know if you've ever seen one. They're like a nightmare with a giant hand on their nose. Uh, basically, uh, I, the wilderness, the monsters had come to us. And it was in the midst of the prime safety Carl years where Grace casually walked up to me while I was doing some work one morning, and she said, you got to come outside. You would not believe what I almost ran into. I'm thinking, ran into? It sounds like wrapping your car around a tree. What is she talking about? So I go out our back door. It's May. It's cool. It's cloudy. It's kind of the day where you think, is it raining or not? I can't tell. And it's about 20 yards from our back door to this marshy creek that is at the end of our property. And halfway between the creek and the door, there's this thing. It's like the size of a truck tire. It's got a shell on top of it that looks like the shield of a warrior. It's got claws. It's got a tail that looks like it's a chain made out of iron. And its head is terrifying. It looks like a tank. It doesn't have a couple tusks coming out of the lower jaw, but it's got a beak. And looking at the muscles that are connected to this beak, I can tell if it wanted to, it could bite off my hand. And so I look at it and I think, well, hello, Gamera. (laughs) (laughs) What I was looking at was a snapping turtle. But I never knew that snapping turtles could get this big. And snapping turtles were not supposed to be there. Snapping turtles had their place in this world, which was at the bottom of a pond eating frogs. And now I had no idea why this snapping turtle, this giant snapping turtle, was in the middle of our yard. And the only reason I could think was that somebody had set up some nuclear explosion in its pond and it needed to seek vengeance on someone. And safety Carl, in the back of my mind, is getting very worried because his girls are going to get up soon. And they're the kind of girls at that age who are going to bolt out of the house, not even change out of their pajamas, and start climbing on boulders and looking for interesting things. And they're going to see this creature and say, oh, well, we're going to pet it on its head. And this turtle, who I will call Gamera, is looking at me saying, why, yes. I would love a bowl of baby's feet for breakfast. So I go back inside and I talk to Grace. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we really have no answers. This is not in, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. You know, (laughs) chapter 50, when the snapping turtle arrives. (laughs) And I look back at the door as we're, like, not coming up with a plan, and the turtle has moved. 
It was totally motionless before. It's totally motionless now, except that it's now 20 feet closer to the door. And safety car is thinking, the turtle is marching on the house. We are Tokyo. What do I do? What do I do? I, do, do I have a flamethrower in this house? No, I didn't think of buying one, okay? There's no spaceship in here that I can just pack this turtle up and get it away from my children who are, I am hearing them, they're awake. What do I have? I have, I, I, what, can I, what can I use? What can I use? I'm looking around and I, I grab a broom, a broom. That's how insane I was at this point. I have a broom and I'm actually saying to myself, I can persuade this turtle to go away. Persuasion of a turtle. I step outside, and the turtle looks at me like, yeah. Doesn't flinch. So I take the broom, and I walk up to it, and I poke it. <laughs> and I'm very careful to actually like, apply the force in the direction of the creek to kind of let it know that that's where I want it to go. And it's not moving. It's, not, it's, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm pushing against one of the granite boulders around our house. And... So I say, okay, I have to talk. I say, go. Go away. Go back where you... I am talking to... I am talking... I am trying to have a conversation with a turtle. This is what happens when you become a safety parent. And the turtle... Gamera doesn't even give me the satisfaction of retracting its head in its shell. It just looks at me like, are you done? And I was done. I went back inside, and I realized I needed backup. So I get on the phone. I find the phone number for Guilford Animal Control. I figure, hey, if anyone's going to know about Simon Controls, they will. And so I, I call them up, and there's no answer. Five seconds later, I call them up again. There's no answer. Five seconds later, I call them up again, and I get an answer. And a man says, Guilford Police. For about a quarter of a second, I'm, I'm deeply ashamed that I'm talking calling a policeman about a turtle, but then I think, no, tur police are exactly what I need. I think I need, what I need is a reptile SWAT team, you know, experts on this. I, I would like actually a helicopter with a sky crane to come down as well, if you could do that. So, so I have a policeman on the phone, and Safety Carl says to them, hi, um, I, uh, there's this turtle, and... Um, <clears throat> I think it might have rabies um, because it's, it's really crazy and, and, it's, and it's heading right from my house. And any minute now, it's going to come in my back door and it's going to kill my children. Could you come and take it away? I said that. I, I said that. Those words came out of my mouth. And the policeman actually didn't miss a beat. He didn't say, uh, what? He said, uh, no, sir, no, we're not going to come. I was like, you're not? <clears throat> no, we're not. I'm like, why not? And he said, sir, what you have to understand, this is a female snapping turtle. <laughs> I, I, I'm beyond able to understand what this means. I, fe, uh, uh, why does it matter that Gamera is a she? I don't know. And how has this policeman somehow gone and inspected the sexual organs of the turtle that's going to kill my children? I don't know. This is all too much for me. He says, sir, what you have to understand is that at this time of year, every year, when it's cool and it's cloudy, 
Female turtles come out of the water and they look for a place to lay their eggs. And they'll travel quite far until they find the right place. They're looking for soft soil. Just bear in mind, this is a cop, okay? <laughs> I wasn't expecting to be attacked by Gamera today. I wasn't expecting to get uh, herpetology lessons from a cop, but <laughs> it is an interesting day. So he, so he, uh, so he, so he explains that, that you know, what's going to happen, sir, is that she's going to find a place. It might be your house. It might be somewhere else. And she's going to dig a hole, a big hole. She's going to lay her eggs. She's going to bury the hole. And she's going to go away. I say, yeah, but you're still going to come and take away the turtle, right? No, sir. No, there are too many turtles in Guilford to take away. <laughs> so I think we're, like, under attack by the turtle army. And I say, well, what, what am I supposed to do for my children? And he says, just keep them inside for an hour. Just stay inside. She'll do her business. She'll go away. She'll never bother you again. So I hang up. I'm not at all, let me say, safety Carl is not at all satisfied. But I have totally run out of options. So I lock the doors so the girls don't run out. I lock the doors so the cats don't run out and become turtle food. I'm just saying, fine, we are going to spend some time in turtle prison. And that's what we did. The girls woke up, and they're looking out the window like, where's the turtle? And I'm like, it's back there in the backyard. And they say, I don't see it. It's not there. The turtle, Gamera, has, of course, fired those rocket engines and apparently flown over the roof of our house, because now it's in front of our house, and we're seeing huge scoops of mulch and dirt flying in the air, because... Gamera loves our garden. And Gamera is making a crater in there. She's digging down. Her head's going down, 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 deeper, deeper, deeper. And then she st the, the, the mulch stops, and she turns around, and she looks up at the sky in a kind of peaceful zen way, and she starts laying eggs. And this goes on forever. It goes on for so long, we just totally lose interest and go back into our lives <laughs> in our turtle prison. We're locked in the house. There's no going out, and it's incredibly boring. And I look up again, and she's gone. Just gone. You don't, I didn't see this turtle actually walk. And so I unlock the front door, and I open the door, look around. No ambush. Thank goodness. Uh, and we realize that Gamera has left. So now I was completely obsessed with snapping turtles. And I would talk to our neighbors, and they'd say, yeah, you know, when I was growing up in the 60s, you know, some mornings you'd have hundreds of turtles coming up out of the marshes. It was amazing. And I started to appreciate that actually, you know, these snapping turtles, these magnificent animals, these terrifying animals have, are actually, like, not doing very well. You know, they, they come from this long line of turtles. Turtle fossils go back a couple hundred million years. Snapping turtles have been in the east coast of the U.S. for millions of years. <clears throat> They survive winters in frozen ponds. They've dealt with glaciers. But, you know, today, they have to deal with us. They have to deal with us filling in their habitat, building roads where they can get run over, hunting of turtles. Uh, snapping turtles are having a hard time of it. So a year goes by, and... Safety Carl kind of calms down a bit because his girls are getting bigger. And he realizes that, you know, he can't actually do everything to save them. And actually, they're doing pretty well on their own. And one cool, cloudy May the next year, 
the dirt is flying again. Gamera has returned and is laying more eggs. So we go out. We actually leave Turtle Prison and we hesitantly go up close, just close enough that we can see what's going on. And we can see that Gamera, she's laying her eggs one at a time. They're like golf balls. And as they come out of her, she actually kicks them with her back legs. They land in this beautiful pile, like 40 eggs. And then she covered it up, and she went away again. And the next year, she was back, and then went away again, and the next year, she was back. And our girls were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and this became something that we expected. This was our rite of spring. And actually, this past May, something kind of remarkable happened. Gamera showed up, she laid her eggs, and then a day or two later, a couple slightly smaller female turtles showed up, and they laid their eggs. So I don't know if we're having some sort of snapping turtle population boom, uh, I, I, but I do wonder, are these Gamera's daughters? You know, are we becoming some sort of snapping turtle nursery? <laughs> Could be, and it actually doesn't bother me so much anymore. So after this past May, when we had this big onslaught of snapping turtles, um, a couple months went by, and Grace, one morning, came up to me and said, you got to come outside again. And I'm thinking, it's not May. What's going on? This is in the middle of the summer. So I'll go outside again. And some eggs have hatched out of one of the burrows, and the turtles have come up. They're the size of animal crackers. Now, the odds are not good for these folks because, you know, they, if they don't get eaten when they're eggs, they're gonna, they, a lot of them are going to get eaten on their way back to the water. A lot of them are going to get eaten in the water. Some scientists have, have determined that actually one in a thousand turtle eggs actually ends up as an adult. And we're watching these baby turtles they're like Gamera in miniature, with a tiny little shell and a little beak, and it's adorable. And they are out of the dirt, and they are making their way back to the water. And what they have to do to get to the water, they've decided, is they have to walk down these set of stone steps that go from our front door to the, to the driveway. And these steps are about this long. So you have to imagine a tiny little turtle walking, 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 getting to an edge of the world that it doesn't understand, and taking another step, and falling. And you know how I feel about falling. <laughs> and these little babies are falling, and they crash on the next step, and they flip around, and they start crawling, 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 crawling to the next step. And they take another step, and they fall again. And I'm looking at these tiny little turtles, and I'm thinking about the odds of them becoming adults. And I think, I can't save them all, but I can, you know, give them a little help when they're young. So the girls and I, we go and we find a bucket and we pick them up. We don't have to lift them up with our arms. We pick them up between our index fingers and our thumbs and we place them in this bucket one at a time, a dozen or so turtles, and we walk to the creek and we scatter them in the mud and they go on their way. And it's like it was Monster Week again at our house. But this time, when the credits rolled, at the end, it would say, and featuring Safety Carl <laughs> as himself. <laughs> Thank you.
That was Carl Zimmer. Carl's a columnist for the New York Times. He's the author of a dozen books, including Parasite Rex and Evolution, Making Sense of Life. He has won prizes for his writing from the National Academy of Sciences and the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Zimmer has also appeared on radio shows such as This American Life and Radio Lab. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where you have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Also, we depend on listeners like you for our support. If you love the podcast, please consider donating at storycollider.org slash donate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Littlefield for hosting the show and to all of you for listening for four years. Thank you so much for listening.